Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com Man's first sports network listeners, welcome to another episode of the call sheet. This is your host, Kevin Smith. Happy to be with you as our summer is flying along, man. We are now into late August, and the NFL is through two weeks of its preseason. And re- football's kicking off all over the country, man. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, my high school team, Ocean City High School, we got a game in two days. Two days. It's hard to believe. August 25th, we kick off in an event here in southern New Jersey called the Battle of the Beach, which is a really, really cool event that has 11 high school games on our home field, which is situated about 100 yards off of the Atlantic Ocean. Really beautiful environment to watch a football game. We'll have 11 games over three days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, featuring teams from all over the East Coast. It'll be really cool. If you are, listen, I'm going to plug the event real quick. If you're if you're sitting around your house on Saturday night, this coming Saturday night, and you tune into ESPN2 at 7 o'clock, you will have the opportunity to see IMG Academy from Florida versus St. Joe's Prep from Philadelphia on our home field, on the home field of the Ocean City Red Raiders, right? So if you happen to be watching ESPN2, uh, Saturday night and in between seven and 10 and you catch any of that IMG St. Joe's prep game. That's uh that's our home field, man. That's where we play the ocean city red Raiders where I coach. And it's pretty cool to be able to have ESPN come in and cover the game from our venue. Some of the youth kids from our feeder program, including my son are going to get to be on the field before the game with the IMG guys. Uh, pretty just unique opportunity for, for everybody here. And, uh, and we're really excited about that. So. Football kicking off all over America. College football, the pros are, are, are moving forward. Really exciting time to be a football fan. So this is, this is episode 19 of the call sheet. And like we've been doing the last few weeks, we've been starting the show out by picking the episode number and, and comparing it to a player who wore that number in the NFL. And number 19 is a really interesting number. I don't want to skip number 19. My, my podcast producer, Brian Anthony Davis, tells me that this is actually episode 20 of the call sheet. And I'm, I trust Brian to be right about that kind of stuff. Uh, but I can't skip number 19. So, so for the sake of our purposes right now, we're going to pretend this is episode 19 because there's a fascinating story attached to one of the more interesting NFL players to wear number 19. And so you can think of probably some famous 19s. You get Johnny Unitas, uh, Joe Montana wore 19 when he went to Kansas city. You have Keyshawn Johnson, who was a pretty famous number 19. But the guy I'm going to talk about, some some of the listeners may know this individual, some may not. His name is Tom Dempsey, and he was a kicker for various teams, the Philadelphia Eagles and the, the L.A. Rams, the Houston Oilers. But he's most famous for his exploits as a member of the New Orleans Saints back in 1970, when Tom Dempsey set a record that stood for over 40 years in professional football uh, when he kicked a 63 yard field goal 
which was the longest field goal in NFL history at that time. And like I said, held that record held for 40 years. But the, the kicking of the field goal itself is only part of the story. The, the real story is Tom Dempsey, which if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'll, I'll tell his story very briefly. First of all, Tom Dempsey was listed as six foot two, 260 pounds, which in 1970 made him as big as most of the linemen who played the game. Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Fame center Mike Webster was about 6'2", 260. So Tom Dempsey was really sort of built like a lineman. Physically, he kind of looked like a guy that maybe if you're like driving down the highway and there's a road crew and you got like you know, a ditch and, and there's one guy in the ditch and four guys standing around looking at the guy in the ditch, maybe commenting on the guy in the ditch. He looked like one of the guys standing around the ditch. Like maybe he has a cup of coffee in his hand. Maybe he's got a cigarette, you know, just you know, wearing the orange poncho. That's what Tom Dempsey looked like. But to make this story more intriguing, Tom Dempsey was born without any toes on his right foot, his kicking foot. And so as an NFL kicker, he wore this modified shoe, which was like a half of a boot that was uh, fitted to his foot in particular. There was a little bit of controversy about that, that shoe as to whether or not it gave Tom Dempsey some sort of an advantage. When he was asked about that, Tom Dempsey famously, famously answered, you try kicking without any toes and you tell me if that's an advantage. I thought that was a great quote. But anyway, Tom Dempsey was known to sort of pad that, that shoe with like newspaper. And, you know, I mean, it was 1970. There weren't a whole lot of technological innovations that made the shoe more comfortable. And it was said to be pretty uncomfortable. And he'd stuff newspaper into it to try to soften the blow of when he kicked the football. And he very famously kicked a 63-yard field goal uh, in 1970 that stood uh, in, in a game, by the way, to beat the Detroit Lions at the buzzer, a walk-off kick. Uh, and then his teammates sort of uncomfortably hoisted Tom Dempsey under their shoulders, and it was a struggle to get him up there. Well, one of his teammates was a guy named Wayne Coleman. And, and I coached for years with Wayne Coleman at Ocean City. Wayne Coleman's a, re uh, a resident of... The, the area down here, and I taught with him at Ocean City High School. And the Colemans have a cool story, too. Wayne Coleman was on the field for Tom Dempsey's 63-yard field goal as a linebacker for the Saints. Wayne Coleman played nine years in the NFL for the Saints and the Philadelphia Eagles at linebacker. And then Wayne's son, Doug, who played at Ocean City High School, went on to be a, a star linebacker at Nebraska when Nebraska won a couple of back-to-back -back championships in the mid-1990s. And then Wayne went into the NFL as a linebacker. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Doug went into the NFL as an NFL linebacker for several years playing for uh, the New York Giants and the Tennessee Titans. And Wayne, uh, Doug, I'm sorry, was on the field when the Titans pulled off the Music City Miracle, the famous lateral play that they used on the last play of the game to beat the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs in what I believe was the late 1990s. So pretty, pretty awesome little story there with the Coleman family, father and son, NFL linebacking duo, dad's on the field for Tom Dempsey's famous 63 yard field goal. And his son, Doug is on the field for the music city miracle. One of the most famous playoff plays in NFL history. So really cool stuff. there, all tied in, to the number 19. Tom Dempsey, by the way, to end that story, uh, died of complications from COVID in 2020. Uh, 
And, you know, but, but was said to be a guy who for years and years and years reveled in the fact that he held an NFL record for a long time and truly seemed to enjoy uh, the story surrounding that whole, uh, that whole episode. So shout out to Tom Dempsey, number 19. All right. Today uh, on the show, got a really cool show for you today. We're going to, we're going to spend the next few minutes whipping around the NFL as we sometimes do here on the program, but looking at a specific thing. And that specific thing is the progress of the young quarterbacks in the league two, two weeks into preseason. We're going to look at first and second year players, the guys, some of the more high profile quarterbacks taken in the last two drafts. And on the second, in the second part of the show, after the break, we're going to have a really awesome guest with us, Hondo Carpenter, who's a Las Vegas Raiders insider, been a longtime Sports Illustrated writer, and uh, covers the Raiders here for us at Fans First Sports. And he's going to give us some insight into Aiden O'Connell, the young quarterback who's opening a lot of eyes right now with his preseason play in Las Vegas. So let's get right into that, man. How are the young quarterbacks faring? Let's start with the, the the big names from this year's draft, right? Bryce Young in Carolina, the number one pick. Uh, he had a kind of a quiet performance in Carolina's preseason game Friday night. They lost 21-19 to the Giants. Young went three for six for 35 yards. I mean, it was better than uh, than last week. Um, but it was, it was uh, you know, he, he drove them down for a field goal. Uh, on a 15-play, 62-yard drive. I mean, that's that's exciting if you're a Carolina fan to see Young be able to extend drives with some third-down completions. He was pretty smooth until they got into the red zone, but there he took a sack from the 10. Obviously, you don't want to take sacks in the red zone, want to get rid of that ball, throw that thing away. And then uh, took a delay game penalty that sort of killed any touchdown opportunities that Carolina would have had. They wound up kicking a field goal there. You know, it's up and down for Young right now. That's Totally to be expected, right? You're starting a rookie quarterback. Carolina's got a, a decent roster around him. So you're going to think that Young will wind up having some, some better days for sure. But it's up and down right now, and the Panthers are going to have to live with that. And the same is true with C.J. Stroud in Houston. Stroud Stroud kind of made some headlines last week because on his second NFL pass, he threw a pick. Um, and again, you know, it, it looked to be one of those situations where he kind of got fooled by the coverage. And he's going to have to learn on the fly. He's got a far less talented roster around him in Houston than does Bryce Young in Carolina. So C.J. Stroud's struggles may be a bit more pronounced. Uh, in their in their preseason game on Friday night, he was seven for twelve passing, led five drives or I'm sorry, four possessions, only amounted to three points. But again, on the field goal drive, did some good things to to extend plays with his footwork uh, and made a couple third down conversions. So, you know, ultimately just being able to put a few points on the board is not the measuring stick for uh, Stroud. That's not how everybody's going to judge him, but progress, right? What kind of progress is he making? And, and his progress, albeit minimal, was progress nonetheless. So each week you're going to look for CJ Stroud to get a little better. As coaches like to say, get 1% better every week. And if he can do that, then I think there's going to be you know, some happy people down the road in Houston, but man, they're going to have to be patient. It's going to be a tough year for Stroud and the Texans this year. All right, Anthony Richardson, who was the fourth pick in the draft, he didn't play this week. Indianapolis held some joint practices with the Bears. I guess head coach Shane Steichen feels as though he saw enough in those practices from Richardson to sit him. 
interesting news in Indianapolis this week is that Jonathan Taylor has been granted permission to seek a trade. So it looks as though Taylor may not make his way into the backfield, the Taylorson, the Taylor Richardson Taylorson. That would have been a great, a great way to mash those two together. A Taylorson backfield would have been very interesting, but that's not going to happen apparently. Uh, so we'll see, I man. We'll see what, what what the plan for Richardson is moving forward, and we'll check back in on him. But of the of the rookie quarterbacks, the guy making the most news right now is Aiden O'Connell in Las Vegas, who went 11 out of 18 for 163 yards and two touchdowns in a 34-17 win over the Rams. O'Connell so far in the preseason, 26 out of 36, 304 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And here's the number. Here's the statistic I think that's the most interesting. He's led the the Rams to, to thir- or the Raiders to thirty eight points in nine drives. That's that's four point two points per drive so far. The NFL league average is usually around two or about you know half of that. And so right now, again, two preseason games, you got to pump your brakes. But still, right now, O'Connell is producing twice the league average in, in points per drive, and he's got a lot of fans in in, in Las Vegas excited. And like I said, we're going to talk extensively about that on the other side of the break. So I'm not going to mention more about O'Connell other than he's a guy that's worth talking about in, in more detail. As is Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. If O'Connell's been the best quarterback from the 2023 class so far this preseason, then Kenny Pickett holds that honor among 2022 quarterbacks. Pickett has been flawless so far. Now, he's only played three drives in two, se- two preseason games, but each one of those drives has resulted in a touchdown. Pickett is 9 out of 11 for 113 yards with two touchdowns and no interceptions and a 100% touchdown percentage in the drives that he's played. He just looks bigger and stronger, but more than anything else, just much more confident, playing with more confidence, and he's become the unquestioned leader of the Pittsburgh offense. The Pittsburgh offense has outscored – uh, its opponents, Tampa Bay and Buffalo, 38-7 to through the first half of their two preseason games, which is the time where the starters generally get reps. So that's a that's a huge improvement uh, for an offense that averaged just 18 points per game last year. They're, they're putting up 18 points per half right now uh, in Pittsburgh. Another quarterback who is, is doing some good things from the 2022 class, Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. He went 7 out of 9 for 80 yards. Uh, and a touchdown with a touchdown and an interception in Atlanta's 13-13 tie against Cincinnati. That was his, it was his preseason debut. He didn't play in week one and he looked sharp. Uh, he drove the Falcons from their own 16 to all the way down to the Cincinnati six before he, the drive ended, unfortunately, with an interception on a deflected pass, uh, which was really not Ritter's fault. But he's been praised by his coaches and teammates for a lot of the same things that Pickett's been praised for in Pittsburgh. Knowing the playbook inside now, great leadership, working well with his teammates. In, in Atlanta's going to be a run-first team. They've got they got a really good one-two punch with Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson. They were third in the NFL in rushing last year. Ritter's got good legs and the ability to extend plays and and uh, execute design runs and make plays off schedule. If he can be more accurate than he was as a, as a rookie, read coverages a little bit better as a rookie. Uh, and really just sort of supplement the run game with that play-action pass, boot, get out of the pocket, make things happen style of play. Atlanta's going to be sneaky good. They are my uh, surprise pick to win the NFC 
south this year. I'm going to stick with that until they prove me wrong. Uh, and I'm, I'll, I'll be very intrigued to see Thursday night's Atlanta and Pittsburgh preseason game because you get to see Pickett and Ritter play head-to-head. All right, let's talk about one more one more QB before we, we head to break, and that is Malik Willis in Tennessee. So he's, he's the guy I think that there are the most questions about uh, of the high-profile 2022 quarterbacks. He had a disastrous rookie year. He just looked totally overmatched. It, it really felt as though he wasn't ready for NFL defenses. Coming out of a spread offense at Liberty, so he's not playing top competition. He's not running an NFL-style offense. And then he went to Tennessee, which is a very, very different system, real, real pro-style system. Uh, and he certainly struggled. But you know, the progress so far this preseason has been uh, you know, better. It's been, it hasn't been significant. Nobody's, nobody's, you know, proclaiming him the heir apparent to Ryan Tannehill right now. His numbers on Saturday night in Tennessee's win over the Vikings were certainly not eye popping from a passing perspective, 10 of 17, 85 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Uh, but he ran for 91 yards and, and Tennessee was dominant. And the Tennessee ran for 281 yards against the Vikings. Again, that's a preseason contest. But if you're if you're building a recipe for success for the Tennessee offense, it looks something like that, right? Get your get your ground game going, uh, get your quarterback to be able to run the ball a little bit, sort of like a, a version of what Atlanta's going to do. Uh, and and you know Willis made some good plays off schedule and got out of the pocket, 91 yards. Some of those were on design runs. He's got a long way to go, man. He's still slow to uh, to diagnose coverage. He still makes too many mistakes with the football and too many bad decisions. But he's getting better. And for right now, if he could lock down the number two starting quarterback job, which it looks like he will now that Will Levis is hurt, that would be significant progress for the Titans. All right, so that's a quick look at the quarterbacks in the 2022 and 2023 draft classes, the ones who are most notable. By the way, I'll throw another guy out there who looked awesome on Monday night, and that was Sam Howell in Washington. Looked great, led uh, – Led the Commanders to a comeback win, and they finally snapped that insane 24-game preseason win streak that the Ravens had. Uh, and Sam Howell looked great. He looked really good running Eric Bieniemy's offense. So I neglected to mention him, but we, we'll keep an eye on Sam Howell as he uh, vies to become the starting quarterback in Washington. He's off to a good start as well. All right, on the other side of the break, very excited to bring in Hondo Carpenter to talk about Aiden O'Connell and the Raiders. So you won't want to miss that. Please stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you. In the first half of the show, we're talking about some of the young quarterbacks in the NFL and the progress they've made so far in the preseason. And we're really going to shine a light on one of those young quarterbacks here in the second part, Aiden O'Connell of the Las Vegas Raiders. And to do that, we're going to bring in an excellent source, Las Vegas insider, Sports Illustrated contributor, and our source for all things Raiders here at Fans First, Hondo Carpenter. Welcome to the show, Hondo. Appreciate you you coming on. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, hey, real quick before we jump in, just uh, just – for those who are listening, um, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, you got some some great credentials and uh, noticed a, a lot of awards attached to your name. What's uh, what's your career in journalism been like? 
You know, it's been a great career. I've really enjoyed it. It started in television and segued into writing more. I mean, always when you, even when you're in television, you still write a lot. And uh, it segued and grew and grew. I covered the Lions, I covered Big Ten, I've covered just about everything. And then got the opportunity, this is my fourth season to come out to Vegas and cover the Raiders and I absolutely love it. Great, you know, my son, he's 10 years old and we live in New Jersey. So there's no good reason for a 10 year old from New Jersey to be a Lions fan. But uh, I, I let him pick his favorite team when he was like six. And I think he liked the, the lion on the helmet. So he's going to be thrilled mm-hmm. to hear that, that you covered the Lions. <laughs> so so th- let's talk a little bit about the Raiders, man. I mean, they, they, they're coming off of two really impressive preseason wins. Is there, is there a little buzz? I mean, I know it's preseason, but is there a little buzz building out there in the desert for the Raiders? Well, I'm going to tell you this, Kevin. I, I, it's, I appreciate your answer because if you're not embedded with it, you would say they came off two really good performances. It's actually been been uh, six because they've had the two joint practices with the Niners and the Rams, and they won them both and the games. Um, they have had a very consistent offseason. I'll give you an example. They knew last year that they had to get tougher, faster, stronger, meaner, everything on defense. So they targeted Robert Spillane. This is the guy that the last six games of last year played every defensive rep, every special teams rep, and the Steelers did not want to lose him. But where they were in the salary cap issue, they couldn't outpay the Raiders. Now, obviously, his replacement, they paid more, but that's because of how some things fell out with free agents. But they wanted to keep Robert Spillane. They loved Robert Spillane. The Raiders stole him. And I'm just using that as an example because you're a Steeler guy, but – This Raider team has really transformed themselves. If Jimmy Garoppolo stays healthy, I think they're going to win nine games, maybe 10. But this is a team where, you know, you have a fan base that has been told for decades their motto just win. And they haven't. Think about this one. Mark Davis, the owner, has had two coaches take him to the playoffs, fired them both. And so – this is the thing where um, do I think people are optimistic? Some of them, but this is a, a fan base that has just been had their guts ripped out by the organization so many times that I think outside of Raider Nation, there's a genuinely building of excitement for the program and the team and the organization. And I think among fans, I think the majority are very excited, but there's just a bunch that have just been beat up. And I think they're kind of acting like they're from Missouri. Just show me. And you know what? You can't blame them for what they've been through, but I think it's going to be fascinating and very interesting. Has, has, have the Raiders built a, uh, a pretty loyal fan base yet in Las Vegas, or is that really still a work in progress? Well, the Raiders are one of the largest fan bases in the world of any professional sports team. Um, I would say to you, I think that they're, they've done good in Vegas. But there's a couple things about Vegas that make it really unique. And let me give you an example. Let's say you're a school teacher from Florida and you grew up a Steeler fan. And you have an option. Do I go up to Pittsburgh in the middle of winter or head out to Vegas? for a weekend and catch Pittsburgh there. So the first thing is, is Vegas is the destination place. 
Now, I love Pittsburgh. The head coach of the Pitt Panthers, Pat Narduzzi, is one of my very best friends. I've been to Pittsburgh so many times. I love it. I'm an avid guy, so I love going to Heinz Field. I know that's a wrong name, but I love going to Heinz Field for a winter game with, you know, three feet of snow and all of it. But most people are going to go to Vegas. Um, on top of it, because there wasn't a pro team here for so long, fans, you know, develop loyalties to other teams. Now, here's the other thing. Oakland was not a destination city either. And I'm not dumping on Oakland. It's a nice city, but it's not Vegas. And so Mark Davis had kept the prices very reasonable for tickets. But in comes brokers and people who just bought tickets, casinos and others, to redistribute. So you're never going to have what you had in Oakland. It's never going to be that way here. I hate to be your death angel. People say, well, when we get it like it was in Oakland, it's never going to be like it was in Oakland. But you also have advantages here that you didn't have in Oakland. Your franchise is flush with cash. They can go get anybody, structure a salary any way they want, do anything they want. They have no money issues. Okay, It used to be in Oakland, there was a lot of things they couldn't do because of the money issue. On top of it, they have the nicest stadium in the NFL as far as entertainment and the way it looks and the amenities. Does it have the environment of, of um, Heinz? No. Lambeau? No. But it's still a great place. And I mean, every week, the house band is one of the best bands I've ever heard in my life. Celebrities galore singing halftime shows. The food's amazing because that's what's expected in Vegas. But you're going to get anywhere from 50%, you know, maybe even a little bit higher for the visiting team. Now, having said all of that, as they win, their fan base will blossom and grow. And then more people from around the country who love the Raiders will make the trip. But uh, it's never going to be Oakland. But the exchange is there's never going to be a free agent you can't go get if you haven't been smart with the salary cap. You're not going to lose people because you can't structure deals right. So there wasn't there was a trade off, but no, it isn't like it was in Oakland, and it never will be. It's fascinating. I, I was watching the the Las Vegas Golden Knights in their in their Stanley Cup run, and their home games were really interesting because uh, the, the city closest to me is Philadelphia. You go to a Flyers game, mm -hmm. uh, any Philadelphia sporting event really, and it's a rabid fan base that lives and dies on every moment of what's happening on the field or on the ice. But the the Vegas home games, they were like parties. It, it felt like they had people singing and dancing in the stands. It is a nightclub. Yeah, very, very interesting. Really. Now, let me approach. say this. So I'm from Michigan. I'm a hockey guy. Grew okay. up loving the Red Wings. Gone to so many games there, I don't even remember. At, at the old Joe Lewis and at the new arena, of course, Little Caesars Arena. Um, but for me, going to hockey games here was really different. Um, I've always appreciated when you go to watch a Red Wing game or you go up to Toronto to watch a hockey game, um, you get where the game is the excitement. It's a lot of knowledgeable people. They love it. They watch it. They understand the nuances of the game. It's like watching a um, St. Louis Cardinals baseball game. You come to Vegas, and these are smart fans. They're not stupid. I'm not implying that because so many people live here who come from cold weather. 
you know, there's no snow, but there's cold weather. And you, the experience here is literally the experience. It's oh, and there's a hockey game. The people love it. They enjoy it. So they don't know any different. Again, that doesn't mean they're ignorant and they don't know the game because they do. But they get to watch the game with all the ancillary fun. Uh, my family and I were sitting in an owner's suite watching a game. And it was just fun because, you know, my son is a traditional hockey guy. And he loves hockey. And he loved it. He just thought it was an amazing. And I enjoy it as well. It's just taking some use to getting used to. But there's an interesting thing I want to point out about the Golden Knights. First of all, their arena seats, you know, less than a third of a legion. But the other thing is, is they were a new franchise. They were an expansion team. And so they do a good job of marketing. We're Vegas bred. And so the, the Raiders came here with an international and national following. They're a huge brand. In my opinion, they're one of the largest brands in professional sports, how they've changed it over the decades. And so, but they came in here and were already established. And to the Vegas residents, yeah, okay, we're glad to have the Raiders. And they are glad. The people love them. But the Knights are ours. They were born here. They are ours. You know, when you listen to the talk, you and I just talked about Oakland. When you talk about the Raiders, there's still so much discussion. It's not the Coliseum. It's not this. It's not that. The Knights don't know anything other than T-Mobile Arena and being in Vegas. And so that does have something to be said. Clearly, the Raiders are much bigger than the Knights. I'm not trying to say that they're not. It's the NFL. But in here, I think if you were to take a vote of fans, the Knights are probably more popular with the locals than the Raiders, but it's close. That's really interesting because everybody just talked about, all right, you're never going to get hockey in the desert. And to hear you say that is kind of fascinating. But all right, so so we'll segue now, you know, just to, you know, that's kind of the business aspect of it, the cultural aspect of it. I think it's really interesting. Uh, but what's going on on the field is really interesting, too. And and it brings us to Aiden O'Connell, who really has been of all of the rookies who have taken the field so far at the quarterback position in the 2023 class. He's been the best. I mean, I, I was talking about his stats before the break, 26 out of 36 for 304 yards. The, the number that really jumps out at me is he's he's played nine possessions and they've scored 38 points. I mean, that's that's 4.2 points per possession. And the mm -hmm. league average is right around two points per possession. So you're talking about double that. And un understandably, it's preseason and you got to pump your brakes. But, it's but wait a minute, I'm going to say something to you too, because I'm at everything. Yep. Here's the thing that's amazing to me. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people say pump your brakes or, or hang on a minute, it's preseason. And you're right. But let's remember, he's done it against ones, twos, threes, and fours. And if you can make an argument, he's looks as he's looked his best against ones and twos. That kid's a flat baller. Now, let me tell you a couple things about him. Um, coming out of school, if he had left Purdue as a junior, a lot of people believe he would have been a junior. I mean, would have been a first-round draft pick. The Raiders loved him, and they felt like they stole him last year. <clears throat> now, I reported for months there was only one quarterback that they would have selected in the first round. They would have went up to five to get him. They wouldn't have gone any higher because the price would have been too high. But that quarterback was Bryce Young. 
but they loved uh, Aiden O'Connell all along. He was high on their list. He was a guy that they targeted. They had hoped that they would get him. And when it came along to select and he was there, they just were like, I mean, there was joy in the Raider organization. Now, he's faced some very vanilla defenses. And the reciprocal of that is true, that the Raiders have been very vanilla on offense. And I know that there's other things in this um, playbook that they haven't shown that are new. And I've watched him do them so he can do it. And I think that it's fascinating. There is no quarterback controversy. He's got to learn. He's got to get the mastery of the entire playbook. And Josh McDaniels is a little bit different than a lot of other coaches. You get a big, thick playbook in training camp. And then every week, he gives you updates to your playbook for that opponent, which are bigger than some teams' playbooks. Now, that's being a little bit hyperbole, but it's close. And uh, I was told by one person one time that at the end of the year, your playbook can be eight or nine of the big three-ring binders. When a lot of teams, the three-ring binder is your playbook. And so there's a lot of learning curve, but I'm going to tell you, he's done everything right. He's gone to Jimmy. He's gone to Brian Hoyer. Um, He's been respectful of the vets. He is absolutely having as good of an offseason as you, I mean, excuse me, a preseason as you could hope. And the kid is just a baller. The players love him. And uh, it's fascinating to watch. He's, he's going to be the quarterback of the future, but the future isn't today. Hmm. What, what do you like best about his game? Is it his poise, his demeanor? Mm-hmm. Is it just kind of the way that he's walked in and handled everything as a rookie? Well, a couple things I really like about him. First of all, I love his character. And I he's a high-character young man. And he's a, off the field, on the field. You can't find anybody with an ill word about Aiden O'Connell. You know, he walked on at Purdue. And this is a kid that, you know, again, could have left and been a first-round draft pick as a junior, decides to come back because how long has it been since Purdue has won a Big Ten championship? He felt like there was a shot, and he got him to the Big Ten Championship. And uh, I think that that's, you know, he's a competitor. I mentioned he walked on. So the first thing I love about him is he's an absolute competitor. This kid, uh, you know, you wouldn't know it spending time with him off the field because he's, you know, he's very confident, but he's just, you know, he knows he's a rookie and he knows his place. But on that field, He's very competitive. And his teammates, I think it was Michael Mayer, their starting tight end out of Notre Dame. For another, he, he was a great pick they got this year. I think it was him, but if, it, if I'm wrong, I'm not lying to you. But he made a comment today just about his poise in the huddle, the way he is in the huddle. And you can hear the ones, the twos, the threes, and the fours, you know, talk about that poise. We're going to go get this. You know, if he makes a big pass, it's not woo it's let's go on to the next play. He and now he's not a kid. He's not 22. I think he's 25 or is about to turn 25. But he carries himself like a man. And uh, I'm going to tell you one little thing you just said that's true, but I want to expand on it. You said he's looked better than any other rookie quarterback, and you're right. But do you know he's also the number one? quarterback in the NFL who's thrown 25 or more passes in the entire NFL. So 
let's just put in perspective. I think you got to tap the brakes a little bit, but clearly he's showing you everything he want that, that you want. And his future is clearly at some point going to be leading the silver and black. Now we see with, with a lot of great quarterbacks who have the ability to sit beside behind a seasoned veteran and what that does for them. I just, I like the way he prepares, the way he handles himself and the way he competes. He's got a short memory. And uh, that makes him a really good quarterback. Hmm. So you 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 mentioned that uh, you said he knows his place, and that's an interesting conversation too about what exactly will his place wind up being because there's a decent amount of talk about him uh, having outplayed Brian Hoyer, and you know Jimmy Garoppolo has got a long and extensive injury history. Mm-hmm. You think the Raiders will have seen enough? from O'Connell to elevate him to the number two, or is that really because of his inexperience Hoyer spot for the time being? All right. Here is what I believe. Um, And this is what I believe the organization is thinking as well. Jimmy's their guy. There is no quarterback controversy. If Jimmy were to be injured before Aiden has the mastery of the playbook, they would go with Brian Hoyer. But uh, if he's got that playbook and it's mastered, he's the number two. And Josh McDaniels told me that in L.A. um, on Sunday. Now, he didn't use those words. That's not a quote. But I asked him about playing Brian so much. And and, because the week before he had played Aiden O'Connell for two and a half quarters. And instead, he only got the, the, the third and fourth quarter in L.A. And he talked about, you know, there being a competition. So that's what I mean when I, I said, you know, he told me as much. So there is a, absolutely a competition. I think that Aiden has outplayed Brian. And that's just the reality of the situation. Um, if it was a game situation where they were pulling out everything in the playbook and being more creative, I don't know that Aiden's ready. But he's close and he's coming. And uh, but I think it just depends on where in the season they are. If they're six games into the season and they're still competitive and they feel like, you know, there's a few things we can't do with Aiden, I think they go with Brian. If they're in week eight or nine and they feel like Aiden knows it, I think they go to Aiden. So, again, I, I just think it's it's not that Brian has outplayed him, but you know this because you've done this for so long, when you get into the season, it, your, your whole playbook becomes so expansive and so competitive with reads and reloads and checks and moving everybody around that if, if you're not sure your quarterback can do all that, then you go with the guy who you know can. Right. It's interesting because I think about, you know, as a Steelers fan, the way the Steelers handled Kenny Pickett last season, they were extremely conservative when they brought him into the lineup. Uh, and like you were just saying, at, you know, as the season progressed, you saw them begin to just open it up very deliberately, very gradually. And now he's had an entire off season and, and this year he looks sensational. He's, he's kind of been the best of the 2022 class. Um, with, with well, I'm his- going to tell you right now, um, I know several people who are national media or connected to the league who've been around all the training camps in every one. I mean, there's no exception. 
has told me Kenny Pickett's probably been the best-looking quarterback they've seen. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating to hear because there was you know, the narrative out of Pittsburgh was that the national media was was more down on Pickett than the, than the local media and the local guys. And it's probably a product of being around uh, those individuals on the day-to-day. Like when you're talking about Aiden O'Connell on the day-to-day and you use words like his poise and his leadership, I mean, those are the intangibles that are tough to measure unless you're actually there. And when I hear you talk about that stuff, that's the stuff that to me – would get me most excited about him. Because if you can handle an NFL huddle, then you, that's such a huge part of playing the game. So Yeah, you know what's like amazing is sometimes fans don't understand the most important part of a quarterback you don't really get to see. Now, let's be honest. If he can't make a throw, he's not going to be a quarterback. But to get to this level, they all can do that. Um, he's got poise in everything you want. If, if Let me just say this one. If Aiden were in year two, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo gets signed. But he wasn't. He wasn't here. And uh, I know this. There is a lot of happy people in Henderson, Nevada, at the Intermountain Healthcare Training Facility that uh, Aiden O'Connell is the silver and black quarterback. Interesting. So – let me let me ask you this. I I, I wasn't going to you know ask this question or sort of go in this direction, but it kind of has me curious. Uh, what, what what how did it all kind of go down with Derek Carr there in 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 Vegas? Because I you know I, I don't it didn't seem like it was acrimonious, but it it all it it feels like it went sour somewhere. Where where did that happen? Well, first of all, I wrote a long article on this about the divorce between the Raiders and Derek Carter. I would I would really recommend any of your listeners if you want all the minutiae to go google it just put um inside the raiders divorce with Derek Carr in my name but first of all it wasn't acrimonious i mean they didn't hate each other there was nothing like that josh mcdaniels isn't that kind of a person neither is Derek carr um but it just wasn't working you know Derek. Uh, had been through a lot with this franchise, unfortunately for him. And I just think it was hard for him. The McDaniel system is nothing like he's used to running. It's completely different. And I just don't think the marriage worked. Now, I've reported this many, many times, talked to Josh McDaniels about it. Part of the reason he took this job was because he wanted to coach Derek Carr. So there was no animosity. There was no anger. There's no dislike. Derek said the other day to one of my colleagues, Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review Journal, that he still roots for the Raiders. He lives here in town. And it just was one of those things that did not work. I, I hate to say this, but you folks in Pittsburgh will have my back. It's like pineapple on a pizza. Just doesn't belong there. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing in Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Midwest guy, so give me a, give me the props there. That's pretty good analogy. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Uh, okay, so so let's do let's do this, right? I, I'm I'm going to get you out of here in, in a minute. Um, two quick questions, right? Yeah. One, give me a give me your projection for the Raiders. You said you thought that they were about a nine win team, but let me let me tie this this into that question. Do they need to be a nine win team? Do they need to be have a winning record uh, for Josh McDaniels, nope. or is he is he safe? Josh McDaniels' job is completely safe. 
Okay. Unless there's something out of bounds that has nothing to do with X's and O's, Josh McDaniel's job is completely safe. I mean, if Roger Goodell decides to go after him and there's emails that I don't know about, I can't do anything about that. And I don't think there is. I know Josh's character. But, um, no, he's going to be back in 2024. So is, is this a new Mark Davis? Is just with all the transition uh, and turmoil, is it just like he's he's kind of decided that it's time to be patient? Well, I, I would disagree with your analogy there for a minute. Um, Jack Del Rio got fired. Um, I think there were some behind, well, I know there were some behind the scenes reasoning just about his relationship with Mark. Um, Rich Pistacci didn't get fired because he was a bad guy. He got fired. And listen, all the players wanted Rich. But Mark didn't believe they needed. I mean, that year they went to the playoffs with Rich Pistacci in 2021. It was a masterful coaching job. They held it together with Scotch Tape. And Mark looked at it and said, listen, I know my players love him. Mark liked him. But I want to go somewhere more long term. He had given Gruden a 10 year deal, as you know. So he goes out and says, okay, who does everybody in the NFL want? And everybody wanted Josh McDaniels. And he met with them, he liked them. And, you know, he was able to get a deal together to bring his best friend, Dave Ziegler in, who has been an outstanding general manager in two years. And he likes the direction. And one thing, I think Mark Davis is a great owner. You know, there in Pittsburgh, the owner's office is up there with everybody else's. Because you have an owner who is very aware of the game. He knows the game. He's smart. And I have no issue with that, so don't hear that. But Mark Davis doesn't know the game as well as Mr. Rooney or some his dad. <clears throat> and so Mark knows what he doesn't know. And he's smart enough to say, hey, listen, I don't know what I know, don't know. So I'm going to go hire people that are really well-respected, winners, and I'm going to trust them. And he trusts Josh McDaniels. He trusts Dave Ziegler. Um, this is no slam on Jack Del Rio. I think he's a good coach. But in my opinion, I think there was some issues, not character or morals, but just issues with um, maybe Mark's place. And Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels come in. They keep him in the loop on everything. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're thinking. They have embraced Mark. I don't believe that that's happened a lot in Mark's time in leadership here. And so I think that that's endeared them to him. And I think it was wise of them. And I think the whole relationship is very healthy. And, and I think they're going to win. I think that they're going to get this franchise turned around. I believe in Josh and Dave, and that's not popular. I get ripped by a lot of Raider fans for saying it. But my job is not to be popular with the fans. My job is to give honest analysis 
and then be held accountable for it. And because I take that approach and I'm not just going for a click, I hope over the long period of time that people say, okay, I may not agree with that guy, but he's not coming as a, as a hater or a cheerleader. He's just trying to give me really good balanced analysis. And that's what my analysis is. Well, that's probably why you've been so successful in the field. I mean, that's the, that's the smart and professional approach. So, you know, congratulations on uh, a long and, and excellent career. And it's been my pleasure to have you, man. I really appreciate the conversation. I think, I think a lot of times when, when you talk about football, people, you know, people are very fascinated with the obvious, the things, of course, that they see and that they understand. But, boy, it's a business. Uh, it's a, it, to be a coach or an owner, you have to be part psychologist, uh, uh, you know, as much as you do uh, mo- motivational speaker. Uh, it, it's a complicated profession all the way around. And it's probably been a fascinating career that you've had being able to see uh, it from the inside the way you have. I've been very blessed. Well, thanks. Uh, appreciate you coming on. So for, for Hondo Carpenter, man, this is Kevin Smith. This has been the call sheet. Uh, we'll be fascinated to watch the Raiders as they progress. Aiden O'Connell, we'll see if if uh, he can can take that number two job at some point this year. And all these young quarterbacks we were talking about in the first part of the show, uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch their progress. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch everybody next week. Take care. <laughs>